My Govanen, welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm Tolkien Geek, and the Greeks had many different words for love, and they all meant very different things. And you can find examples of this in real life all the time, but I specifically want to talk about examples in the Lord of the Rings, or not even just Lord of the Rings, but even outside of that in Tolkien's other works. And they're really good examples because they show us how different kinds of what the Greeks called love can apply in many different facets of our lives and how we can take that and apply it in ways that, you know, the the word love doesn't have to mean just one thing. So let's take a look at some examples of what Tolkien's characters do that the Greeks would have classified in some form of what we would call in English love. So one type of love is one that gets a lot of play in Christianity, and that is agape, or in Latin, caritas. And forgive me if my Latin pronunciation is not very good, I didn't study a whole lot of Latin, but the idea is it's kind of a selfless love that, you know, you are, it, it's kind of a love for something bigger than yourself or for something other than yourself that's not motivated by anything you know, internal. There's nothing self-interested about it. And there's not a whole lot of obvious examples of this in Tolkien's works because there's, you know, a lot of the time what we associate with agape, or at least what it gets associated with in Christian context, which is the main context that even gets really referred to anymore, is the idea of, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself or loving God and that sort of thing. But in The Lord of the Rings, we can actually get two examples, and that would be Gandalf and Frodo. Gandalf is actually a really good example because in a conversation with Denethor, he tells him, I am also a steward, didn't you know? All living things are under my care. It's not quite exactly right, but that's basically what he says. And the point he's making is, I have you know, the care of basically everything that's fighting against Sauron. And so I have this relationship to them that I am trying to do what's best for them in all ways. Whereas you, Denethor, are being a steward purely for Gondor and acting only in its behalf, and then even only because it serves your self-interest. So we see Gandalf's you know, care for all the other things being contrasted with Denethor's somewhat selfish care for only the things of Gondor. And another really interesting example of this is Frodo, because Frodo, when he first sets out on the journey, is doing it in large part to save the Shire. When he sets out, he's doing it on the grounds that, you know, if he stays in the Shire, he'll bring more danger there than it would otherwise face. And he says that, you know, as long as I can have the Shire behind me, you know, I feel like I could withstand the journey. So he has a love of the Shire that is also very... And by the Shire, I mean like the land and its inhabitants. That is very, you know, agape-like in that he is selflessly trying to, you know, sacrifice his own happiness for the Shire's well-being. So that would be examples of agape. Next is the one that we most commonly associate with the word love in English, and that's eros, which is, of course, romantic love. The kind of love you feel for your spouse um, or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Uh, and this is actually the trickiest of the bunch because Tolkien 
never gets erotic in any of his writing. We get romances, but we never get, you know, really in deep with any of them. So we know, for example, that Aragorn and Arwen are in love. Baron and Luthien are in love. But they're, the way their relationships are described is not in those kinds of terms, really. It's, it's more mythical than that. So there are no really good examples in Tolkien of that kind of, you know, love in, in, in that way because the way he describes it, he never gets close to the sexual. He really just doesn't. Uh, the closest maybe we get actually to that is a very perverted form of it where we get hints that Morgoth has ideas about Luthien when she comes to try to help Baron steal the Silmaril that, you know, thoughts that are a little darker than we want to put on the page, which is why Tolkien alludes to them rather elliptically. So there's, those are really kind of the main elements. I mean, we've got several characters who fall in love and get buried, but the actual eros of it almost never really gets described or even touched upon, but we know it's there under the One of the other more well-known versions of love in the Greek formation is philia, or philia, which is a friendship love. So there's, you know, the idea that you have a friend that you're very close with, and, you know, there's so many examples of this in Tolkien, it's ridiculous. And Tolkien himself, of course, was very much in favor of having these kinds of close friendships. He had very close friendships with the Inklings, or at least several of them. You know, he had close friendships in other contexts of his life, and he had very close bonds with, you know, people that he served in war with. He had, you know, very close friendships with his original group of, you know, G.B. Smith and the others that formed the TCBS which I can't remember what that acronym stands for, something, the, something T something and Barovian Society. I forget the the actual acronym, but, you know, he had very close relationships with all these people. And we can see that reflected in his fiction because he has tons of these. Turin and Beleg in the first, uh, first age. You know, Legolas and Gimli in the third age. We have, you know, just all kinds of examples of this where two people who may or may not even have much in common, become very fast friends because of something that, you know, they find to connect about. Gimli and Legolas, it's because Gimli, after meeting Galadriel, basically becomes an elf devotee, and Legolas sees that, and it forms a bond between them, and they become, like, the fastest friends almost of the entire fellowship. You could put Sam and Frodo in this category as well, but their relationship starts out as master-servant, so it's a little bit trickier to kind of define it as friends because that almost implies a peership. Although clearly by the end of the story, that is definitely where they're at. They're definitely, in that sense, peers because they went through literally everything together and there was no longer really any distinction between master and servant other than the fact that Samwise is still acting in that way towards Frodo to help him finish his quest. But there's plenty of other examples as well. Even Gandalf and Bilbo could be seen in this way because after their you know adventure in The Hobbit, Gandalf and Bilbo become very good friends and remain friends so long that you know Gandalf comes to Bilbo's 111th birthday party. So I mean, you've got many examples of this kind of friendship that occur all across Tolkien's writings. I just picked out some of the more 
prominent and obvious ones. Next on the list would be storge, and this is a Greek word for familial love, the love you have for your parents, your siblings, your children, that sort of thing. And again, we don't see a whole lot of this one because so many of Tolkien's characters either don't have parents or are lacking family in one way or another, but we do get several examples of it. Faramir and Boromir both love each other very much. Denethor loves Boromir, has kind of a love-hate relationship with Faramir. Faramir loves Denethor. Boromir loves Denethor. You know, it, but the way those relationships all work is very different. Then you've got examples like Turin again. His parents clearly love him very much, and we can see in the Children of Hurin, the very expanded version of the story, that his parents are constantly thinking about him and how to best raise him and that sort of thing. Sam and his father, the gaffer, also have a very close relationship, and we constantly see Sam referring back to sayings of the gaffer citing his wisdom, so we know that they had a close enough relationship that Sam at least paid attention. Another one is, and this one is a little bit of a twisted example, is Fenway and Feanor. Fenway maybe loved Feanor a little bit too much, uh, <laughs> and kind of spoiled him a little bit. And so there's an example of taking one of these a little too far. Um, but then another one that's a little less typical is Bilbo and Frodo. They're not actually father and son, but Bilbo adopts him, takes him in, and raises him as if he's his son and makes him his heir. So there's another example, and we also know from later on in the story it tells us that Frodo suddenly realized how much he cared for Bilbo. You know, Bilbo is now gone, and he realized, wow, I love that old hobbit a lot more than I thought I did. So there's, there are, despite the fact that families end up being torn apart a lot in Tolkien, several examples of how these relationships can play out and how they can kind of go wrong, like, say, in the instance of Denethor or Fenway and Feanor. So kind of interesting to compare those. Another one... And this one, this one is kind of by definition uh, a messed up type of love is philautia, which is the love of oneself. And here, it's hard not to think of Denethor and Gollum because Denethor, as I mentioned earlier, in his capacity as steward, he is caring for the things of Gondor. But really, it's all about himself at the end of the day. He's, you know, when he tells Gandalf, you know. Gandalf asks him, what would you have? And he says, I would have things the way that they were, me reigning in peace with a son to take my place, you know, in the rulership and not have it taken over by some ragged, you know, ranger from the north. Uh, he doesn't, it's, he doesn't care about Gondor for its own sake. He cares about Gondor because he rules it and he's going to have his way. Gollum, of course, is a rather self-loving creature too because... You know, he commits murder to obtain the ring in the first place, and then everything after that is all about keeping his precious and getting his precious back. And, you know, a lot of that is due to the corruption of the ring, but we also can tell from the fact that he murdered his, you know, friend way back in the day to get it. It's not all the ring. Some of that was already there, and it's just ugly. So there's probably other examples of self-love. I mean, you could bring up Morgoth and Sauron, but... I mean, though the to me the Gollum and Denethor examples are better because we get them a little more developed. Another one, and this is one that you really got to kind of study to even figure out because it's not one that you would really tend to classify. But it's Xenia, which is the love of outsiders or you know others, 
and it's the idea of giving hospitality, helping other people, or, you know, often it's reciprocal in nature. And we see many examples of this because so many times in Tolkien's stories, strangers come to places where they are given shelter and treated wells. So even within the Shire, Frodo is given hospitality by elves who are in the Shire. Gildor shows Frodo hospitality. Faramir shows Frodo hospitality. Um, Rivendell, Lothlorien, there's lots of instances of this. In most of these cases, you don't really have any kind of reciprocal element going on, but there is an element in the First Age where it is a little bit reciprocal, and that, again, is Turin. Turin is given uh, you know, the opportunity to be fostered by King Thingol, and it's in part because of his relationship with Beren, who is related to Turin's mother. And so there's a little bit of reciprocity there, sort of, um, but that's almost borderline storge, familial love, too. So it's a little bit of a combination of both. But we definitely see many instances in The Lord of the Rings and elsewhere, and, well, I mean, even Rivendell, even in The Hobbit, you know, we have an instance of, you know, Elrond taking in the dwarves and Bilbo giving them hospitality. And it's really interesting, and I'll probably try to do a video on this one day, on just how all this plays out, because the frequency of people showing hospitality to others in these writings seems so out there. Like, there's just so many of them. You have to wonder why. Was this something that was really important to Tolkien as a general rule? Or is it just the nature of the way he, you know, wrote his stories because that was the kind of stories he was into? Don't know. But an analysis of that might be really interesting, so I might try it later. But at any rate, those are a lot of examples of that kind of, you know, re not necessarily reciprocal, but certainly hospitality-type loving relationship. Finally, there is the Greek word pragma, which is a very practical kind of love based on shared goals, interests, you know, and, and it involves kind of a committed relationship to achieve those kinds of things. And it's interesting because it's really hard to think of examples of this that aren't also friendship love, philia, but we can see elements of this certainly pop up in various instances. So, for example, Aragorn and Gandalf, their friendship is largely built off the fact that they have the shared interests that revolve around Aragorn's destiny and Gandalf's role in opposing Sauron. Those two things very neatly coincide so that they have, you know, their aims and goals are basically completely aligned. Another example, which, again, is a, this one is a little bit weird if you think about it, but also kind of makes sense, is Bilbo and the dwarves in The Hobbit. Their entire relationship is built on literally a contract of employment, but he becomes very fast friends with many of the dwarves, and by the end of it, it's not just about the employment, it's about the fact that, you know, they actually do care about each other, and even if Thorin isn't a mushy-gushy type... He does have his feelings for Bilbo, and a lot of it is related to the fact that they have both been striving towards these ends for so long. And this is why I say it, it's hard to think of examples of this that don't have, you know, involve friendship as well, because all of them do end up being very friendship-based by the end of it. But it all kind of stems, or a lot of it stems, from that initial shared goals type relationship.
So those are seven words for love that are, you know, in Greek that we don't really have in English that really give us a, a broader understanding of how you can love your neighbor, as it were. I also wanted to throw in an extra one that I thought of that I don't think there's really a Greek word for, but which is one of the most striking examples of a kind of love in The Lord of the Rings, and that is the reverential, awe-filled love that Gimli has for Galadriel. Clearly, Gimli's uh, feelings for Galadriel are more than just, wow, she's pretty. There is something there that is more, more heartfelt, I guess is the way I would put it. Because, and, and part of it stems from the fact that Galadriel kind of greets him, uses words from his own language. And of course, she was at one time, you know, friendly with the dwarves of um, the uh, Mines of Moria, or Khazad-dûm. And we only really find that out in the Unfinished Tales. But it's kind of latent in the background of The Lord of the Rings as well, because of the way she uses his own tongue with him. Uh, and that connection that she makes combined with the fact that she is just kind of way up above his level in in a in a way shows that his his love for her is not just you know you kind of speak my language and you show pity on me even though you're different you know we can see in his conversation about where he names the three the the hair of that of her head that she that he wants he doesn't ask for it. He names it. That's an important distinction for this purpose because he is showing, I don't consider myself worthy to even ask you that. Like, his his feelings for her are clearly, I am a very humble dwarf asking a very great elf who is way higher above me for, you know, I'm not asking. I'm just naming because you told me to. His entire relationship with her is one that is, it's almost like a mirror, a small-scale version of humans and God. It, it, it's kind of like that, which kind of works because we do get hints from Tolkien that Galadriel is in some ways maybe kind of a, an image of the Virgin Mary. And as a Catholic, Tolkien would have taken that very seriously. Catholics, you know, think of Mary as a very very important figure, not just because she's the mother of Jesus, but I mean, it takes it beyond that. So Gimli's relationship with her almost kind of resembles the way a Catholic would think about the Virgin Mary. And so that's another form of love that I don't think was really covered by any of these Greek words, but which I thought was so powerful and important in the story that it, it really necessitated a mention. So that kind of wraps up my discussion of the Greek words for love and how they apply in Tolkien's stories. There are probably others out there. I've searched online, and there's so many different lists of words, and I couldn't look at them all, but there may be others. If there are others out there that you'd like to throw in examples of, please do that in the comments. So I hope you enjoyed that, and if you did, please like and share the video. You can follow me on Twitter at JRRTLore. You can also, of course, find me on Odyssey, Rumble, and podcast versions. Please do subscribe to the channel and click the bell icon to get all the notifications. And you can support me over at Patreon. Until the next time, I am the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye. No